Dr. Brian McDonough, and welcome. Our new Dr. Brian McDonough show today has a special guest, Dr. Tim Dowling. Dr. Dowling will be talking about some very important subjects, and that is student health. What our college students are dealing with as a result of COVID. You know, we're at a point in this country where there's about 940,000 deaths. It has been devastating. But for many, it hasn't just been the deaths from COVID. It's been illness. It's long COVID. And it's dealing with the anxiety, the depression, and the other issues. And as we move past the state of a pandemic, hopefully to when it's an endemic type of a virus, we're still going to be dealing with these issues. Dr. Tim Dowling will join us in a moment on the Dr. Brian McDonough Show. The Dr. Brian McDonough Show. Hi, it's Dr. Brian McDonough. We're back with Dr. Tim Dowling. Delighted to have him on the program. Tim, first of all, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me, Dr. Brian McDonough. Tim joins us from the Napa Valley. Uh, he had, though, spent many years uh, at the University of Delaware. In fact, when he left the University of Delaware in student health, where he directed the program, he actually won the Medal of Distinction from the university. That award recognizes individuals who have made humanitarian, intellectual, cultural, or scientific contributions to society on the highest level. And I think that says a lot about you, Tim, but it also says a lot about what you tried to do to help students. And you know, we're getting through this pandemic, we're doing what we can, and certainly in my own reports, over 224 doctor in the pandemics here on YouTube, we've talked about and chronicled the virus as it spread, you know, uh, the ups, the downs, mostly the downs, as well as the scientific advances. But I think we're at a point now where we really have to start talking about the next stages, how we deal with this, how we're handling it. And you were on the front lines dealing with college students throughout this Tell me a little bit about just bringing it back when you first learned about this, when you first realized how serious it was and, and how it impacted the college students that you were responsible for. Sure. Thank you, Brian. Um, so we, we have to go back, uh, back to March of uh, 2020 when the University of Delaware uh, made the difficult but strategic decision um, to actually start spring break early uh, and send the students home. Uh, gave them a two-week spring break so that we could make plans for how we're going to deal with this and see how it's going to evolve. Early on, um, we did not know how fast it was going to spread. We had the first cases um, at the University of Delaware were the first cases in the state of Delaware at the time. Uh, so we were uh, spending a lot of time talking with the governor, the Department of Health coming up with plans uh, for how we could keep everyone as safe as possible. And in doing so, um, we, we decided during that two week period to pivot to online only. So we asked the students not to come back to campus, which a lot of universities followed our lead and, and did the same thing. Um, so for those students, uh, ones that were seniors, unfortunately, uh, their fourth year of at the University of Delaware, they didn't get a graduation. Um, they didn't get to walk down an aisle and receive their, their degree. 
so I think that had quite an impact on him. It was not an easy decision for us to make, um, but it was a decision that we felt at the time was the right decision to keep everyone as safe as possible and gave us a chance to learn more about this virus since it was in the early stages of the pandemic starting. So you went through that year, you then go into the summer and we're thinking things might get better. Uh, but of course, they didn't get appreciably better. Did they return to school at that point or did they still stay home? It's a great question. Um, we um, actually went into a hybrid mode. So we brought back students um, into the residence halls at a much lower density. So each student got their own room in the residence halls. Um, and then all the classes were, for the most part, online on campus. Um, and, and we were doing that because, um, again, we, we were seeing that the, the numbers were still hanging out there. They were going up and to bring 24,000 students back on the campus and put them into a normal residence hall living situation. This is all, again, before we had the vaccine. It would be very difficult to make sure that we were keeping everyone as safe as possible. We were seeing that people were dying from this virus, um, that people were developing long-term symptoms from it. Um, they were getting mental fog uh, or long COVID type symptoms. And, you know, we didn't want to put our students in a position where um, they could uh, get sick easily and transmit it. We, we know uh, from our experience how the flu uh, transmits on a college campus fairly quickly during, uh, especially in the residence halls during flu season. So we just extrapolated that COVID would probably spread even more quickly given the data that we were seeing at that time. Now, that was a difficult decision for us. One, um, not bringing students back on campus meant that, um, at least at the numbers that we normally do, it meant that those students wouldn't get that experience, especially the freshmen are coming into campus, living in the residence halls, having that community development that we normally see as students come into uh, onto campus for the first time and get to experience what university life is really like. You're listening to the Dr. Brian McDonough Show. If you're on YouTube, you're watching the program as well. Our guest is Dr. Tim Dowling. want to talk a lot more about the anxiety, depression, and other issues that students face, but we're kind of bringing it up to the present time, uh, exactly what was going on and how they dealt with it at at least one university, which I may add is a model for many universities around the country. By the way, if you're new to the Dr. Brian McDonough Show or you've just stumbled across it, um, you can actually subscribe. You can hit the bell. You can learn about different programs we have. We've had some fascinating guests. It's not always medicine. Uh, talk with the Irish ambassador to the United States about James Joyce. We've talked about Kobe Bryant with author Mike Sielski. And we've also talked about COVID with Paul Offit, who talks about what kids five and under are dealing with without having a vaccine. And today, Tim Dowling is here and he's talking with us about the college experience because I know a lot of college students or people who have students in college at college age are, are dealing with these issues. So the students come back at that point, they're coming back that fall. So you're talking about uh, basically more than a year ago when they came back, were they dealing with any stress or different fears, concerns at that point? Cause that was before there was a vaccine before there was anything except wearing masks, uh, staying apart, uh, social isolation, and those things. Yeah, so um, we did see students uh, having a lot of stress. 
Um, they were stressing out about how they could actually attend their classes online. Classes were asynchronous or meaning that this, they were taped ahead of time and the student can watch it anytime that they want to, or they were live Zoom classes. Um, and those live Zoom classes, um, you know, the student had to keep their, their picture on, uh, their camera on, um, so that the professor knew that they were paying attention. That opens up a lot of stress for students. One, they, they may have um, a housing situation that they may not be proud of or may feel um, other people are looking into their house, their private areas. Um, they, they may have internet connection issues. They may have family issues. And some, some of our students have young kids and they had to take care of their young kids and trying to balance that could be very difficult during a live Zoom class. Um, so yeah, there, I think students did um, have a lot of anxiety uh, and depression. Uh, the students that came onto campus were still taking classes online. They were living in a residence hall room by themselves. And as anybody that's gone to a, or attended a university, uh, they know what residence halls look like and to be sort of isolated with no kitchen. you basically have far walls. Um, it didn't make for a fun, interactive atmosphere. Students were being quarantined for a period of time if they were exposed to COVID. So they'd spend 10 days in a very, uh, I would call a dreary atmosphere, even though it was a residence hall, it was not uh, an active residence hall like you would see where most students would be, uh, those students would actually be in a room with, in a building with maybe 10, 15, sometimes 30 other people, but it's um, a residence hall that normally would house 300 people. So we were down to like 10% population in those quarantine spaces. They couldn't leave. They had food left at their doors. They had no real social person-person interaction during that quarantine time. Uh, the same for the students that were isolated that got COVID. Uh, they spent five to 10 days in an area where um, they couldn't go out and couldn't leave their rooms and couldn't interact with people. So, yeah, that creates a lot of issues with anxiety and depression, stress, post-traumatic issues. Absolutely. So the vaccine comes along. I know as a physician, got it in late December of that year. Was so excited to have that first dose and then followed it up. And and different groups started to get it based on risk, where they're working, those things. When did students first get access to the vaccine? Was it quite some time? Actually, um, a lot of our students uh, were um, in the medical field uh, studying. Uh, so they or were EMTs. Uh, so they had access around the same time that that my I personally had access to and some of the other high risk groups. So we did have a portion of our students that were getting vaccinated early on in the spring semester in 2021. And um, along with uh, quite a few of our faculty and staff, all of my uh, student health staff got vaccinated fairly quickly during that time. Uh, so as we headed towards the end of the spring semester, uh, we had an, a nice proportion of our students, probably up above 40% of our students were actually vaccinated. Um, so that, that made us feel good as we were starting to head into the fall 2021 semester. So you get into the fall of 2021, which we're getting closer to where we are now, obviously, and looking at things. And you go into that. What were some of the concerns 
at that point? Were there new issues arising? Were there problems? I know in the country there were people debating whether they wanted the vaccine, didn't want to have the vaccine, should they wear a mask, should they not? Did a lot of that stuff happen um, on the college campus? Yes, unfortunately, there's um, a lot of social media going on. There's plenty of people with misinformation. Unfortunately, a public health issue had become a political issue. Uh, so we were fighting all of those things. Um, the university's uh, decision makers um, had gotten together uh, with my own input, and we decided to make the, ma the vaccine mandatory for all students coming back onto campus recognizing that there are some people that for whatever reason, religious or uh, medical reasons could not get the vaccine. Those who were ineligible for the vaccine were going to be mandated that they must test weekly. Um, so we had a plan uh, to uh, bring the students back on campus that they had uploaded their vaccine status into their electronic medical records. And we were able to see that. And those that were not vaccinated or not fully vaccinated would need to test um, coming to campus and then throughout the entire semester until they were considered fully vaccinated at that time. How were you able to do with the vaccine uh, being mandated as far as keeping cases down? Um, I know probably in student health, you saw either cases when they would occur or heard of them. Were there many cases or was it less, more than the general public? Where did it fall in? Uh, so we did have a, a rather um, significant spike of cases when all the students came back on the campus. So in the fall of 2021, we brought about 20,000 students back on the campus from across the globe um, and across the country. And in doing so, um, you know, students weren't wearing their masks all the time on campus. You had to wear your mask, but obviously things happen off campus. Students live off campus. Um, they had uh, social gatherings. Um, and so we did see the first couple of weeks, we did see that that spike in cases. Um, and then it really did come down quickly. Um, by the end of the semester, we were having less than one or two cases per week uh, out of a population of 24,000. We did extremely well. We were extremely proud of that um, fact. Of course, that was before Omicron hit. And then, of course, Omicron hits, and then it is so much easier spread going around. And um, with the younger students, did you find that it fit the trend, though, that it wasn't quite as aggressive as it would be, let's say, in older people or people who had pre-existing conditions? Uh, for the symptomatic um, aspect of it, if you were vaccinated, you had very mild symptoms and did fairly well. We did have some students that were not vaccinated. Um, that didn't do very well, ended up in the hospital, ended up fairly sick, um, feeling lousy, um, you know, and, and, and took a little longer to recover than we did with the other variants that we had seen in the past. So now here we are, we're, you know, we're talking now about where things were and where they are in the present and looking forward, which is part of the reason I wanted to do this program. Do you think there will be long-term damage, short-term damage? Uh, what do you see coming out of this from the changes in the college experience. And also for people in that age group in general, maybe they didn't go to college, uh, they're working or whatever, but they're still dealing with these issues. Yeah, uh, interesting uh, question because I, I I've seen in um, you know, long COVID, 
So we had, you know, students that were still dealing with brain fog and not doing as well academically. Um, so from that aspect, I think there are students that, that are still struggling or have been struggling academically from getting COVID and not clearing it very well and having that long COVID effect. Yeah, I want to talk a little about long COVID because that's the thing that I, I just hope it isn't forgotten out of all of this. I mean, I, I get it. So many people want this to go away. They don't want to think about it. They're frustrated. They want life to return to normal. And we're seeing that at many levels where some people are in denial even. But but as far as the long COVID, people who have conditions that will continue, do you think, I mean, do you think it will be accepted? Do you think there'll be a recognition of it? Do you think there'll be support for, from a medical standpoint? I think there will be support uh, from a medical standpoint because we're learning so much about this virus uh, almost continuously. Um, if you look back um, when I was starting out, there was a chronic fatigue syndrome. I think Cher was one of the people that uh, famously had chronic fatigue. People didn't recognize that very well. Um, it, it seemed like a, a very far off thing and it was rare to see it. Um, and I think both people in the country as well as uh, physicians really couldn't put their finger on it. And, and so it took quite a bit of time for that to be accepted because we're seeing so many people with COVID, the small percentage that are developing long COVID. Um, I, I think that, that that is being more accepted because it truly is uh, something that you can connect almost directly back to. They had a COVID infection and then afterwards, at least from an academic standpoint, they're starting to struggle with their grades and being able to actually do as well as they were before academically. So we are starting to see some of that, perhaps the brain fog or whatever else you're talking about, it's affecting them academically. Yes, yeah, uh, absolutely. I think that's having an effect on them. I, I think also, um, you know, for, for people that are seniors now in their their college career, their fourth year, um, they've gone through pretty much two years of really not being connected to the university. Um, hopefully they'll be able to graduate and walk down the aisle which with masks on. But, you know, for a year and a half, they basically were doing online classes or in very small classes, didn't have the normal college experience. We have people that are freshmen and sophomores that still haven't had that normal college experience, which is part of that fundamental uh, growth, both um, from a psychological standpoint, but also from an academic standpoint that we expect students to go through. Um, and they're missing that. And so what's the long-term effects of that going to be from a social and psychological aspect? Remembering that most of these students were born after 9-11. They've lived almost their entire lives in, in a state where the, the country has been at war. Um, and now we have a pandemic uh, at the end of it. They've gone through mass shootings and school shootings. I mean, psychologically, we knew before uh, pan this pandemic hit that students were struggling and there was going to be more need for psychological assistance for students coming onto campus. We saw that well before the pandemic. And I think it's going to be even more of a need from an from a university standpoint as students um, make it through this and continue to graduate from high school and join universities. 
Dr. Tim Dowling is a family physician at one point in his career. He was a program director of a residency program, worked for almost a decade in student health, working with students. And you've seen really all aspects of care of patients and pediatrics and, and growth. And you bring up some very concerning and important points. One of the things I often talk about is, you know, already uh, adolescents kind of live in a world where social media is so important and interpersonal connections were limited to an extent anyway. They weren't, you know, my generation, you went out to a baseball field and you played games and you, you did things. It became much more video games and then online games and then, you know, texting and all those issues. Well, now you've thrust people into a situation for even more time when they would have had that opportunity to engage socially. They kind of were held back as well. It's got to have an impact. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I think it, it will have a tremendous impact on their, their psychological development as they enter into young adulthood. Um, you know, that, that isolation, I think, was very difficult. Um, and that's why we made the vaccine mandatory so that we could make the campus as, as dense as possible again with vibrancy and people being on campus and interacting in a safe and responsible way. You know, we had a plan and, and we enacted it and trying to limit these psychological aspects of, um, you know, the, the, the pandemic on people. One of the things that, that we really had difficulty with um, was our counselors, um, you know, trying to get them to actually have one-on-one -on -one sessions with the students face-to-face, -face, um, to do it on Zoom um, or, or by video, uh, telehealth. Um, makes it very difficult to pick up, um, you know, the nonverbal cues because you're only seeing them from their neck up. And to have it in person, you're, you have a mask on. So now you're not seeing, are they smiling? And they can't tell if you're smiling. Um, so there's different cues that we miss from a counseling standpoint that makes it really difficult for us to connect with the students and for the students to connect with us, to be quite frank. One of the stories that I've done for um, my radio work is about post-traumatic stress disorder and how PTSD can be felt in many ways. Um, and clearly we have examples from wartime. We have examples from September 11th. But this is another type of PTSD, I would think, where people will kind of take this with them. If they've lost loved ones, if they've uh, lived in fear or concern or have had anxiety, there's still many people who are afraid afraid to go out, afraid to travel, afraid to do things and, and concerned about that. Um, I think it's gonna be with us for a while. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I, I, I think there's, there's two groups of people. There are people that it really hasn't affected very much. They may have gotten COVID and they passed through it. They haven't known somebody uh, that has lost their life to COVID. And then you have families that have been devastated by COVID. They've lost multiple people in their family. And, and so the people that haven't really lost anybody and really haven't felt any real loss from COVID may have a laissez-faire attitude and say, well, come on, you can go out. You don't have to wear a mask anymore. But people that have been sort of traumatized by this because they had a death in the family or just don't want to get COVID, it, it's really difficult for them to now come out and, and interact. And without having, unfortunately good guidelines by the CDC and something that would be, you know, that you could check a box and say, we got to this level. It is now safe 
for people that are vaccinated or unvaccinated to be out in public because we're at such a low spread level, that would be helpful for calming everyone's fears and make them feel good about being able to return to normal. And I keep hearing the return to normal. I don't know if we'll ever return to normal. We'll return to a new normal where we may see during flu seasons or, you know, COVID seasons, uh, if that is the case and it becomes endemic, that people are going to be walking around with masks on and not going out as much as they used to beforehand. Yeah. And I think vaccines, I've been saying for a long time, I think we're probably going to have COVID vaccines, much like we have flu vaccines and COVID treatments, much like we have flu treatments to help. And the hope is, I think that it does become, as they say, endemic. You live with it, you know, it's there, but I don't think we all walked around in fear of the flu. We respected the flu. We were concerned about it, but it wasn't like you thought about it all the time. And I think for a lot of people, COVID will be on their minds because it's, it's gotten so much attention. Anything you want to add? We talked about a lot of things, but anything you wanted to bring up that we didn't discuss? Uh, it's funny you talked about vaccines. And, and now that I'm teaching at a medical school, I just gave a lecture uh, last week on vaccines. And so I added COVID in as part of the vaccine discussion. And I left sort of a question mark at the end saying, you know, you have your your two vaccines plus a booster, is there going to be an annual COVID vaccine? Um, and I don't know. I mean, it, it, if you talk to people that study coronavirus, as long as it keeps spreading from person to person the way it does, um, it's going to mutate, which means then we may need to have updated vaccines at some point to help us fight this off. Um, so I, I think the jury's still out. There's still lots to learn. Um, I would love for for the CDC to come out with more um, clearer guidelines that would tell us, okay, once we hit a certain level of two percent uh, positivity rate for testing, or you know, ten cases per ten thousand uh, people and population, that we would feel more comfortable with saying we can return to our normal activities in the safest way possible. Dr. Tim Dowling, thanks for joining us. Thanks for all the great work you've done with students at a very difficult time. And I think uh, you probably wouldn't, I'm sure, when you joined and started working in that arena, you had no idea like this was going to happen, but it was uh, important to step up and do that. And I'm, I'm sure that the students benefited from your guidance. And I appreciate your taking the time to join us on the show. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. The Dr. Brian McDonough Show.